Hey, grown-up friends. This episode is sponsored by Unest. Start investing in your most important asset, your kids, with Unest. Soon, you will also be able to give the gift of crypto. Join the Unest Legacy waitlist and get early access, entry into giveaways, and much more. Visit unest.co for more information. First of all, she worked backwards from the amount she needed for the down payment. She also had to go learn about our New York City real estate works, which can be complicated and understanding how her tax deduction would factor into it, how she would have ongoing costs like researching homeowners insurance, what that would cost, researching what it was to get the apartment set up because you do have to buy certain things just to set up a first apartment. You're listening to Money Tips for Financial Grownups with me, certified financial planner, Bobby Rebel, author of Launching Financial Grownups, because you know what? Grownup life is really hard, but together we got this. Hey friends, buying a first home has become incredibly expensive and sometimes downright unaffordable for a growing number of people. And that means parents often have kids living at home longer than planned. There's some upside to that, by the way, if you get along well, but if you want to buy your first home or you are the parents and you want to help your kid buy their first home, you're in for a treat. I was a guest recently on one of my favorite podcasts, Stacking Benjamins. Host Joe Salcihai and I talked about how my husband and I were able to strategically help our then 24-year-old buy her first home. And we also talked about other tough money challenges that parents face in launching financial grownups, by the way, the title of my new book. Parenting is not easy, but the rewards are priceless. Here we go. It's old friend day here in the basement because Bobby Rebel is back. Where have you been? I've missed you. I've been writing a book just like you were writing a book, right? Isn't that weird that we were writing books at the same time? We were. Well, at one point they were going to come out. Maybe it was the same day, but it was definitely they were both supposed to come out last October. We both failed at that. I failed more than you, but they're both out. Mine was, mine was my publisher. We had the book way done. But my publisher Yeah, mine was my publisher too. Wink, wink. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, let's start this story where you start. You begin by talking about one of the happiest days of your life. And it wasn't the day you got married. Tell me about this day. Oh, it was epic, Joe, because my uh, 24, she was 24 at the time. She's now 25. Uh, My stepdaughter, Ashley, who plays a big role in the book, she was signing paperwork and buying her very first home, something that she had worked at since she was 13 years old. And to accomplish that at 24, as a parent who had raised her and gone through many ups and downs with her, I was just so proud of her. And I was also really happy for our family because especially when you have multiple kids, as the oldest kid, she was really setting an example for the rest of the kids that it's not unachievable to be a homeowner at a young age. It's just a, a you really just have to focus and make a decision and make choices that you stick to. And it's been really interesting the almost year since that day happened. It was May of 2021. Seeing the way that she interacts with her friends and her peer group who are all very jealous of her, but also, you know, I don't know that they really understand the choices and sacrifices that she made over many years to achieve that goal for her. And I just think as a parent, you really 
get so much satisfaction when your kids achieve something with your encouragement and support, but something that's important to them and that they really did on their own. What were some of those sacrifices she made? She put her money in savings, not investing in the last few years. Mm. And that was really tricky. One of the things that I talk about in the book is pushing them. My uh, Ashley has a brother, Bradley, and I pushed them both to open up Roth IRAs because they both had income. And so one of those sacrifices also is, by the way, paying attention for her to have income producing jobs throughout her teenage and, and early 20s. But she had to make a tough choice not to invest a lot of that money in the stock market and to watch her brother who has invested in a lot of technology stocks and has done very well with his income that he's made and gifts from relatives over the years and so on. And she just kind of had her money in that savings account because she knew she would need it in a short amount of time. And so having those discussions when people are in your ear saying, oh, but you should you know, buy Tesla, do this and that. And she really stuck to her guns. And she also, you know, had to make tough choices about how she would vacation with her friends and doing a lot of research on how they're going to fly and where they're going to stay and really taking the lead and showing her friends ways to spend less money, but still get that trip. And just living, you know, life in New York city as a young woman can be expensive. And she made choices, including by the way, this goes into sacrifice for all of us. And one of the reasons why it was such a happy day for me living at home, not with a gaggle of roommates where your rent might've been affordable, but not zero. We didn't charge a rent. And so she kind of had to live with us. And as much as we, of course, every day is, you know, roses and sunshine living with her. (laughs) It may have not been (laughs) as great for her to live with her parents as you might expect. So, you know, it's hard when your, your friends are all, you know, out there shopping, buying stuff. I mean, she literally, I don't know that she, she bought some things on sale, very cheap, but she even shopped my closet for work clothes because she was really watching every penny and didn't want to be spending on things that we're going to take away from reaching that goal as soon as possible. She also, by the way, learned a lot about budgeting. And it was, it was interesting seeing her thought process evolve because she had these spreadsheets. First of all, she worked backwards from the amount she needed for the down payment. She also had to go learn about how New York City real estate works, which can be complicated and understanding how her tax deduction would factor into it, how she would have ongoing costs like researching homeowners insurance, what that would cost, researching what it was to get the apartment set up because you do have to buy certain things just to set up a first apartment. And she really took it upon herself to do that. And also, this is so important, setting yourself up for success once you own that home, because not only do you have the home costs, but you have to figure out what is my discretionary income realistically going to be. So she really was watching when she was looking at apartments, not just the price of the apartment, but understanding that there's maintenance fees in New York, which big, a lot of people all around the big country Big costs still to come. Yeah. Yeah. So she had to map that out and figure out her budget. And for example, she's now about to get a puppy in a few weeks, which we're all, we're, we're a big dog family. And she had to put that off. And now because she's more settled into the apartment and she's gotten several raises at work, she can afford a dog. And so that was something she had to put off. The timing on this book, I think is really important, Bobby, because you write in the introduction that 79% of adults are providing support for adult children. And I want to ask you about some of the decisions that you made, some of the things that you already kind of alluded to either her living at home I want to Mm -hmm. dive into that. I want to dive into that story about them opening their first Roth IRA because I love, I love, love that story. But 
But as you know, this is a very difficult time, I feel like, to be young. College costs more than ever before. Like the amount of money I paid for school versus somebody uh, going through college today, it's a completely different experience. Real estate prices through the roof, even if you're not in New York City, wherever you are in the United States or Canada, frankly, real estate prices much higher than they were when I was starting out or my parents were starting out when it was a hell of a lot cheaper then than it was for you and I, um, all of these things are so different. It's so, it's so tough. And yet you write that Kelly Ripa joked about her son, Michael being on his own for the first time and about him having to kind of do his things with your own kids. You know, let's, I guess let's start off with that Roth IRA story. You, you lead your kids to water, you show them the yes. Roth IRA, you tell them how it works, they agree to open uh-huh. it, and yet yes. the day before that, nothing is done. <laughs> like there's- Nothing is happening. It, it's so frustrating. And that's, that's the thing. That's why this book, um, parenting books to teach kids about money when you're talking about smaller kids I mean, or younger kids. One of the people I interviewed was Ron Lieber, who wrote a great book called The Opposite of Spoiled. And that's great. And this book is sort of a continuation of that, but it gets different. I don't want to say more complicated. It gets different because you're not dealing with do this, honey, or I'm not going to give you, you know, an ice cream cone. You have to kind of get them on board. These are adults. This is much more of an adult thing. Yeah, this is is much more, Bobby, of a launch pad book, I felt. Mm-hmm. That's the title, Joe. Yeah, right. Launching financial grownups. Imagine. <laughs> but you have to get them to want to launch, first of all, because our kids have great relationships for the most part. This generation has better relationships with their parents. They're not, they're, the stigma of living at home when you and I were younger was much bigger than now. In fact, I would say there's very little stigma in most circumstances of someone in their early 20s living at home. I moved home for a couple of months. It was like embarrassing. I was like, well, I'll be out soon. Don't worry. you know. And now not at all in most cases, there's a lot of reasons for that. There's a lot of societal shifts. I mean, part of it is the simplest, the fact that our minds has shifted when we had Obamacare because we can keep our kids on our insurance. So you, you automatically have a financial tie to your children that makes sense until they're 26, right? So they're already on the dole till 26 in many cases. And college, as you mentioned, is so onerous that on one hand, the student loan crisis, which is ridiculous and needs to be solved. But we also have a parent loan crisis because parents take out money for their children, often impacting their ability to reach their financial goals. And by the way, often at higher interest rates with fewer options to get out of that loan than the kids. And so again, another financial tie to your children. And there's just not as much incentive to separate financially for our children gig economy, which in many ways is so wonderful because it allows children to, or young adults to experiment with different things. There's different ways to make money, but because our healthcare system and so many important financial things like 401ks are tied to corporate jobs. If your child is working in the gig economy, yes, sure. They could set up a 401k, but they're not going to have the matching. They're not going to have a lot of the corporate benefits that we had. And even we were down from the Benefit plans from generations past. So we have a further deterioration of financial supports for our children. And we as parents step in back to the IRA. So the, the Roth IRA. So I, I did get them both to sign up. One funded it because he had a lot more runway before he would need the money. He's now feeling a little pain right now, but it's all just sitting there still. And Ashley, you know, she did open it, but in the end she explained 
was not going to fund it because she did not want to lock up the money in any way. And she was going to use it to buy this apartment. And that goes to the point that every kid has different needs. And as long as you're you're communicating to them and discussing with them what they're going to do, you have to kind of respect their choices and let them do what they want to do. But yeah, it's hard. And the follow-through is one of the important lessons of the book that if they say they're doing something, sadly, don't assume. When Ashley got to her 401k at her fantastic job that we're so proud of her, she works as a cybersecurity consultant. That's my term, not hers. She has a much fancier title that I can't really understand. (laughs) But she's a really fancy job, which by the way, she was originally going to be a teacher and she decided she wanted to own that apartment in New York. And she really figured out lifestyle-wise where she had to be. And she changed her career path um, in college to be able to do the cybersecurity stuff. You know, she said, yeah, I got it. I did the 401k, I'm all set. And I said, let me see it. And it was not actually invested in funds. She had funded the 401k, but not picked funds. And I go into further depth on in the book on what finally happened, but you do have to kind of nudge your way in there and make sure that they're doing what they say they are because they may believe they did it, but they may be missing checking that last box and the consequences had she not invested that money. I mean, it could have gone 30 years. And, I can't tell you the number of, yeah, I can't I tell mean, you the number crazy. of times that you and I have heard that story about somebody goes in three years later, four years later, and they realize, oh yeah. my goodness, I've been saving. I've been a great saver, but I haven't invested this money. I didn't realize there was a part two. And what I feel like is an issue that you point to, you talk about helicopter parenting, where we hover over our kids because we don't want them to make mistakes. You point out that when I was a kid on page six of your wonderful book, by the way, that when I was a kid, you know, my parents wouldn't let me make mistakes. I wasn't trusted with much money ever until I left home. And then I figured out credit cards immediately, which is the wrong thing to figure out and got myself into a lot of trouble. But you say a lot of this is our ego. We don't like Bobby, as you know, to see our kids fail. We want to see them safe and secure and yet that doesn't really teach them anything. So where's this middle ground between our kids failing and us raising these responsible adults? It's very nuanced. And it's interesting because I use the term concierge parenting a lot. The term concierge parenting is often applied to what happens as we helicopter parents um, become parents of young adults, because what happens is we use money to solve a lot of the challenges that our children are having, because it's sometimes just easier to write the check. I mean, one of the hardest things was not paying Ashley's closing costs for her apartment. I, you know, we were like, what if she doesn't have enough? What if this happens and she's just like a small amount short, are we going to write the check? And we didn't know she ended up not needing it. But it's really tricky because you maybe you're at the closing table with all the lawyers and something comes up. What do you do? It's always nuanced and it it is tricky. Um, What I like to say is try to focus on your kids' wants, not needs. In other words, go out for a spa day, pay for dinner when you're out, but don't pay their rent. You know, if your kid needs a little boost with the down payment for their first home and you can help them, that's fine. But make sure that it's not stretching them to a home that they won't be able to afford down the road. And then you're helping them with mortgage payments. In other words, make sure the mortgage payments are a size that's going to be totally doable. So you're not in the continuous financial support cycle. But I also think it's really important to understand, as you talked about, things are really hard for our kids and there is nothing wrong with giving them your support. And some of that can be financial if it doesn't disrupt your own financial goals and you can help them across the finish line with something that they've thought out that's important to them. And it's going to help them be more financially secure in the future. You talk about being a stakeholder in your kid's success. And I love that term stakeholder. Like you're on the, 
I don't know, you own stock in your kid's future or you are a, um, on their board of directors where it's, it's much less about being their friend. It's much more about, Hey, my job is to see this company succeed. If I own stock in Apple, I own stock in my kid. I want them to succeed. And if they're messing up, I'm going to tell them, like, I feel like that word stakeholders really gives you a whole better frame the way a lot of parents frame their relationship. Yeah. You know, that came to be from the fact that my, my youngest, who's now 14, he was um, diagnosed with ADHD um, early in life. And, you know, he had a lot of people around him, but people come and go just like your kids go to school and it comes and goes, and they might take a personal finance course. The professor will teach them. And that's all great. And every more is more. If, if our education system gets better at teaching kids about personal finance, this is all good. It's not an instead, but parents need to realize that at the end of the day, they are the stakeholders. They are the ones that have a continuous interest in their children's success and the education system can help, but we cannot be dependent on them because they are at the end of the day, temporary. They don't have a stake in your child succeeding the way that you do. And that also, you know, it's part just, you know, we love our children, but there's also some really practical things. If your kid is not succeeding, I mean, there's, what's that expression? You're only as happy as your unhappiest kid. So, you know, you want your kids to be happy, but also financially, you don't want to be supporting them for their whole life based on a need, because that's going to impact your financial goals. And also another thing that I talk about is that we can't always talk about a scarcity mindset and people that are in financial distress. You may be very successful as parents financially and be very comfortable and be leaving your child a big inheritance. But I share some very upsetting stories in the book about kids blowing inheritances, very large inheritances. There's no amount of money that a kid cannot blow and very quickly. So if you are wealthy and you are happily supporting your child and letting them follow their passion and dabble in whatever interests them, that's lovely. Can they protect your money when you're not there to protect it? That's and a big if question. they're not, it's very important. And, and one person I speak to as well talks about the fact of having the importance of having a third party involved, because the truth is there are cases where your kids are not going to get there in the time frame you need, and you might be worried. And so you want to put up guardrails for your children to protect them sadly from themselves. Right. When so I- if you have assets and, and you, you'd want to, for whatever reason, it's just your parenting philosophy, you're going to just support them forever. Be careful make sure you put guardrails in place to protect them. Yeah. One of those things that we would do when I was a financial planner is children would not get all of mom or dad's assets right away. If they had a substantial amount of money, maybe a third at 25, a third at 30 and a third at 35 so that they could totally mess up the 25 stuff and mess up even more of the 30 year old stuff and still have something left so that hopefully they learn from that. And obviously to your point, you can't protect them forever, but that gives them some stuff. And by the way, there was also always a workaround. You talk about a third party, kids could still use it early if it was for specific things, but they had to go through an intermediary until that time to make sure that they got it. So I love that, that issue. I want to talk about the other side of this though, which is you know, this isn't just about coddling kids and about kids that needing to be coddled and the idea of we're attached to our kids till 26. We want to be friends with our kids. There's also going back to that original idea that it's a hell of a lot more expensive out there now than it used to be. And you talk about you going back home. Mm-hmm. You talk about your daughter saving money by living at home. And yet you also write in the book, Bobby, that having kids be independent and living away from home is a really good thing. So how do you, how do you couple those two together? Your daughter living at home with, you kind of like the idea of them not living at home. 
it's a delicate balance. You know, I'd like to think of it as seasons of your life when for certain periods of time, one of the toughest challenges I had was I got divorced at age 30 and I didn't have financial distress in any way. I was fine financially, but I did move home because sometimes there are times when family is just where you want to be. And so it's important to separate financially moving home for financial reasons in distress without an exit strategy from being a healthy family and being there for each other. What you want to avoid is the latter. You want to avoid having your kids move home because they're in financial distress. And if they do, you need to be very clear that there needs to be an exit strategy and map that out with them. And it may not be one that they're that thrilled with because one of the challenges is that by definition, we are in almost, in many cases, the parents are more financially secure than their late teen, early 20s kids, right? But we have lifestyle expectations that we sometimes impose on our children. So they're used to living, let's say, in a beautiful suburban house like you're in. And they may not want to live in a dump with three roommates because that's all that they can afford. We need to tell them, no, this is the life stage you're in and this is how you're going to you're gonna be. And sorry, you can no longer afford organic everything that's grass-fed butter. And, you know, <laughs> we're going through this with my, with my son who's going to graduate from college. We basically said, you know, we, we pay your bills right now. We're able to do that and we're happy to do that. Well, not happy, but you know what I mean? We're doing it. Our parents did it for us and we're able to do it, but you're going to be on your budget and you're going to have to make choices about whether everything is going to be organic and grass-fed going forward because you may not be able to afford it. Now, he can do what his sister did and say, I'm going to change careers because I want my grass-fed beef. And he's going to just make that decision to choose something that earns maximum money to afford those things. But you have to have those tough conversations with kids and, and help them understand that life is expensive and they have to make the decisions to get them to the level they want to be at or course correct and live within their means. You know, on the other side of this equation for parents listening that don't have the means to do this, you make a good point that the, that the, it's the educating that's the important piece. I mean, helping your kids by educating them and showing them the way that you do things, even if your money is a mess. And it's funny, you have, you actually have a whole chapter about this, that it's not about whether your money's a mess or not. Let your kids get these uh, lessons along with you. I love that because I have made so many money mistakes and I joke about them now, but come on. I mean, we're all, we all have our drama and, you know, we can air our dirty laundry till the, what's the expression till the cows come home. It's really good to be a little bit transparent with your kids when they are at the right age to understand it, because they do have this impression that things are just so easy for us and we can compare generations and hem and haw, but it's not easy for any generation. I learned in the course of writing this book that even my parents had struggles that I did not realize. And out of respect to them, I'm not going to tell you all of them, but I, I always just thought like, oh, they magically have money to cover everything. Little did I know that it wasn't a, a given that I, I ended up going to private school, but it was not so easy. And my father, he drove a beat up old car to the train because that's what they could afford. And they chose where they lived because that's what they could afford. They did not live originally where they wanted to live and they eventually upgraded, but they didn't have it so easy. And I think COVID has been a real eye opener for a lot of young adults because you move home with your kids and a lot of things come out when you're living at home in your early twenties, let's say, than they might've before, if you went to college, before you went to college at age 18, because you're going to just see a lot more, especially when you're just home 
all the time as we were during COVID, they see more. I saw that with our kids. When we had Ashley and Bradley both home, they were, gosh, you know, Bradley was a sophomore in college when they shut the dorms down and he came home. And then Ashley had just really started her young adult life and was home. And they saw a lot of stuff because they were just there all the time. And I think they learned that we definitely make choices. I mean, if you wanted to, I joked, we were starting, we're doing a big bathroom gut renovation. We didn't go away for vacation because we spent the money was on the bathroom. Now these are choices between good choice and good choice. You know, we're choosing, but we had to choose. And I think it's important that whatever level you're at, we're very financially secure at this point, but we're still making choices between things. You know, I would have loved to go on an elaborate family trip to the Galapagos Islands, but we are doing a bathroom instead. That's a choice, right? Yeah. And they also talk to you differently as they get older. I mean, you know, I joke about the primal scream that came from Ashley when she got her paycheck for the first time. And she knew she was ready. She had done the math and she kind of knew what the take-home pay would be, but she still, it was still a shock then they'll start talking to you at a different level. And that's why it's so different from a course you would take in school, learning from your parents. Because when you learn from your parents, you are learning actual things that are happening in real time. Actually, do I want to spend the money for a taxi to meet my friends when I can take the subway? Do I want to suggest we meet for drinks instead of dinner? And save money because people are very easily persuaded when you choose, you cho- I always joke, choose the restaurant because then you control the budget, things like that. And seeing those things come out through our children is kind of awesome. It's pretty exciting. It's a changing relationship. Yeah. It is cool. And, and I joke, I now get these texts from Ashley from her. She sends me like a, a text screen grab of conversations she's having with her friends that first of all, ask her for advice because she's now the guru. She wrote the epilogue to the book, everyone. So that's like the highlight of the book. And also just about their frustration, the choices they made the last two years while she was home and COVID in a way made it easier because there was less to go to, but she was home banking every penny, which by the way, I will, another pro tip though, monitor the kids' bank accounts when they're at home. That's part of the deal. I see everything that goes into her, her checking account where she, she was just saving in a savings account, I should say, but I was watching the number go up. And when she bought something big, I would discuss it with her. That's part of the deal. If, if they live at home and free as adults, you're allowed to talk about their money. It's not private. It's a family thing. Well, yeah, and, I feel like there's, I some, was cheering her on. there's still some teachable moments there. I mean, there's definitely yeah. some teachable moments. There's a couple more things I want to draw attention to. And these are all lessons, guys, from the early parts of the book. There's so much more in here. But for a lot of parents, Bobby, parents of a, with kids that are old enough to be ready to launch, the kids are living in a plastic world. Everything's plastic. You know, you mentioned that, that your son can go on the Xbox and that doesn't take pennies. Mm-hmm. Yep. That is completely plastic. And money is this whole digital thing. You recommended for your kids an app. And I know this particular app that you use with your kids has a, had a Super Bowl commercial this year. So apparently it's doing very well. The green, I believe it's the green light app. Yeah, but, we use green light. But there's yeah. other ones. There's FamZoo. There's there's these apps for kids that teach kids about money. I'm guessing you like these apps a lot yeah. then. You have to meet kids where they are. And that's where they are. The truth is that the apps, not only they've, they're so good because they've gotten to a point where they're not just doing a transaction. They're also teaching your kids. So there's a lot of educational resources that are associated with Greenlight and with many of these other apps, which there's a lot of great ones out there. And a lot of traditional banks like Chase now is getting into that market. The other thing that I like about the app that I use, but also other apps and, and electronic transactions is that you see everything they do. So my son went to Krispy Kreme 
I know it and he can come home and we're going to discuss it. I'm glad you can't look at mine. And we did. <laughs> no, Joe, but, but Dunkin seriously, Donuts. No. Yeah. I mean, whatever. Like it's, it's just really good as a communication tool. I think it's really important to also create a framework where you're that you are never talk about spying on them to say, this is our way to discuss how you're spending your money. And that, that is something we started on it. He was 12 years old when he started with it. He's used to it and he knows C and it's not in any way. It's, it's just the way it is that if he wants to have allowance spending money, we discuss where he's spending his money and that's has to be normalized that we can see what's going on. And I think also as adults, I love the fact that I can see every transaction that I have because you can press with one little button. Most company, wherever you bank, will just map out where your money's going. So if that works for you, I know some people still like envelopes and writing things down. And if that works, that's fine. But I really like the convenience of being able to see very quickly where our money's going. And we have a joint family credit card for the older kids. And um, although Ashley doesn't use it anymore, she's off the dole, but, um, but Bradley uses it and we can see where the spending is going. And when Ashley was younger, I could see exactly what she's spending. And I think that's a really useful tool as well. Also, by the way, I should say, by having your young kids on your credit card, you help them establish their own credit score, which was something that we had to start doing in advance, knowing that she wanted to buy that apartment. But this is also a key thing, too. I mean, I want everybody to hear this clearly. You're coupling it with parenting, right? Don't just put your yes. kid on your credit card. It's got to be these teachable moments meets these situations. Because if you don't do that, your kid's going to run into trouble because you decided not to parent and instead gave them credit. And guess what? Then you're in trouble, too, if you don't combine the two together. And you have to have a lot of trust in them. So yes, so we put our kids on the family credit card, which also had a lot of benefits that they specifically used. It's very important, first of all, to have a limit to what they can spend. So you can have a limit of $200 a month and just say, that's your, that would be a big allowance. I mean- But it could be you know, 50, you, you it could $200 be- $200 a month. Yeah, it could be 50, be it could be less. It could be whatever, whatever number yeah. you want. Yeah, Exactly. Exactly. It could be much lower. But the other thing is, I think that a family, and I discuss this later in the book, a family credit card, in our case, we use American Express. When Bradley, who's now a senior in college, was traveling, he's a big fencer and he would go to national tournaments. And at a certain age, he was going alone. I mean, the coach was there, but he was traveling alone. Neil and I couldn't always go with him. Not only did it give him the ability to pay for the hotel and that kind of thing, but also it gave him access to airport lounges, which, you know, if you, if anyone that's a parent of a young man would know, although we, not that women can't eat, but, but Bradley in particular, he's a big, a very big appetite. So it's very cost-effective to get him into those airport lounges and have him, you know, fill up. You're laughing, but like, oh my goodness, you know, growing boys can eat a lot of food. So we had a lot of perks like that. And also it gave them a resource should they ever get in trouble because you do want to give kids the freedom to be traveling on their own when they reach an appropriate age. And, and they do have to have a credit card that's working in the world that we live in. The book is called Land Launching Financial Grownups. It's available everywhere, Bobby, I'm assuming, right? Everywhere. Thank you, Joe. Well, th thanks for hanging out with us and talking about launching kids because this is it's such a difficult uh, time and talking to them like they're adults. And I think you know, there's so many lessons, but remembering that your kids do better when you do well, I think mm -hmm. is a huge lesson that so many people need to need to learn among many, many others. But thanks for hanging yeah. out again in the basements like old times. I know. I know. It's so great to be here. And thank you so much for having me. So I talked about catching young Harry spending his cash on Krispy Kreme. 
hardly tragic, but it is interesting how kids' behavior can change when they know you are seeing what they spend money on. So I'm curious, what things have your kids bought or did you buy as a kid with your parents' money that raised eyebrows in your family? DM me on Instagram at BobbyRebel1, on Twitter at BobbyRebel. And while we're talking social media, I caved, I joined TikTok. So please come see me over there for some parenting and money strategy ideas. I am at BobbyRebel there too. And by the way, it's graduation season. If you are looking for some fun gifts for the graduate, please check out grownupgear.com. Use code grownup for 15% off your first order. Big thanks to Joe Salcihai and the team at Stacking Benjamins for having me on and for helping us all be financial grownups. Money Tips for Financial Grownups is a production of BRK Media, LLC. Editing and production by Steve Stewart. Guest coordination, content creation, social media support, and show notes by Ashley Wall. You can find the podcast show notes, which include links to resources mentioned in the show, as well as show transcripts, by going to my website, bobbyrebell.com. You can also find an incredible library of hundreds of previous episodes to help you on your journey as a financial grown-up. The podcast and tons of complimentary resources associated with the podcast is brought to you for free, but I need to have your support in return. Here's how you can do that. First, connect with me on social media at BobbyRebel1 on Instagram and BobbyRebel on both Twitter and on Clubhouse, where you can join my Money Tips for Grownups Club. Second, share this podcast on social media and tag me so I can thank you. You can also leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Reading each one means the world to me. And you know what? It really motivates others to subscribe. You can also support our merch shop, grownupgear.com, by picking up fun gifts for your grown-up friends and treating yourself as well. And most of all, help your friends on their journey to being financial grown-ups by encouraging them to subscribe to the podcast. Together, we got this. Thank you for your time and for the kind words so many of you send my way. See you next time. And thank you for supporting Money Tips for Financial Grownups.